Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.33 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 18th of May, 2023, and this is episode 729 of Bitcoin. And we've got news, and we'll get into all of this. Circle, or the issuers of the stablecoin USDC, looks like they're running away from United States government treasuries. We'll get into that. Ledger is, I don't know what Ledger's doing. It, they Every time they open their mouths at this point, it's like they're shoving both of their feet, a couple of rocks, and a half-dead squirrel into their mouth. It's the most amazing thing. We'll talk about it. I got Azteco news. That's right, Azteco, Beautyon's outfit. If you know who Beautyon is, maybe you've been blocked by him. He's, he gets a little crusty uh, at times, but Beautyon on Twitter uh, has been doing Azteco for years. It's one of the smallest and most unsung heroes of the Bitcoin space and being able to purchase Bitcoin KYC free. They just got a boost. We'll talk about it. FTX leadership is suing Sam Bankman fried. That's right. FTX is being sued by his former company. <laughs> Lightspark has got an announcement. Uh, apparently they've got a wallet. Uh, Grayscale and Bitwise. Uh, Looks like they might be running away from Ethereum futures. I, I can't imagine why you would not want to be associated with Ethereum and anything that, that has anything to do with Ethereum. But looks like Grayscale and Bitwise are both uh, running for the hills themselves. Ron DeSantis banned CBDCs in Florida. We're going to talk about the other states that could be on the horizon for doing the exact same thing. And honestly... Any state that doesn't want to be forever trapped by the United States government or the federal government of the United States needs to do the same. It's the only way to protect the Tenth Amendment. And if you're a state, the Tenth Amendment is like an individual's First Amendment. You can kind of make that comparison. We'll get into it. Filecoin, that also may be a security. We're, we're not sure. But, and there's a couple of other things that we'll talk about. But first and foremost, I want to talk about the house in Colorado, Aspenwood. I've been going there since I was 17. Same house, same place, and I never get tired of it. Why? Because just a little over two miles away from the house is a huge lake, Viacito Reservoir. There's a marina. You can go boating. You can go fishing. You can go do all kinds of stuff. You can run up uh, 15 miles away is the Piedra River Hot Springs. You can go visit that. You want to play golf? Dude, got you covered. 16 miles away, Dalton Ranch Golf Club. Uh, if you want to do this in the winter, you can go skiing at Purgatory. It's only 17 miles away. 
granted in the winter it takes a little longer to get there because you know snow ice but it's a safe drive you can get you and your family to a ski resort inside of like an hour and 20 minutes at worst from this house go skiing all day come home tired as crap hit the hay wake up do it again it's all within your reach including the Wimanooch wilderness is 0.2 miles away the border between the san juan national forest and the Wimanooch wilderness is literally just up the road what's the difference between a national forest and a wilderness wilderness is not managed anywhere close to the way a national forest is managed when it comes to the united states department of agriculture and the department of the interior it's basically hands off it's hands off which makes walking in a wilderness very much different than hiking or hanging out in a national forest this is where you find 10,000, 12,000, 13,000 foot peaks well above tree line. This is the type of postcard place that people, you know, when they send you postcards of, hey, look, I'm over in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they, you see all these mountaintops, same deal, same deal. San Juan Mountains, not to be missed. What else can you do out there? Are you a hunter? Do you like to go deer hunting? Yeah, we got you covered. Why? Because this entire area is where you go hunt if you want to go hunt you can stay at the house three bedroom three full bathrooms full kitchen every utensil that you'll ever need all the towels all the stuff you bring your food you bring yourself you bring your kids uh, you bring your clothes and everything else that you would ever need is it at this house so if you're a hunter that includes a carport where you can butcher the animal after hopefully you field dressed it and left the guts out in the field and buried it uh yeah because you know that's a lot of guts to throw in the trash can so if you field dress it and you bring it back you can hang it in a carport because we have one even if it's raining or drizzling or whatever you can butcher that animal and skin it and get it prepped right there you don't need to do anything special so what are the dates We've got limited elk season coming up 14th through the 18th of October. Moose season is from the 1st through the 14th, but you're not going to find much moose up there. Combined deer and elk is October the 28th through the no through November the 5th. Combined deer and elk on the 3rd season is November the 11th through the 17th. Combined limited deer and elk or the 4th season is November 22nd through the 26th. Guys, I've got all of October and November open for this house. 250 bucks a night, and you got yourself a base of operations to go hunting. I'm just saying. Now, on to the news. By the way, the Verbo link for uh, signing up to get into that house for uh, hunting dates or any other dates that you want will be in the show notes. Now, I mentioned Circle and USDC. So, Circle has moved $8.7 billion to repo agreements to protect reserves from United States government default. This is out of Coindesk, written by Christian Sandor. Stablecoin issuer Circle Internet Financial is rebalancing the reserves backing the $30 billion USD coin as it braces for a risk of United States 
government debt default. The Circle Reserve Fund, managed by global investment management giant BlackRock, added $8.7 billion in overnight repurchase or repo agreements to the portfolio as of May 16th, according to the fund's website. The so-called tri-party repo agreement involves banking giants such as BNP Paribas, Goldman Sachs, Barclays, as well as the Royal Bank of Canada. Overnight repo transactions are effectively short-term collateralized loans. The borrower is selling a security, in this case, United States Treasuries, for cash and agree to buy back the collateral the next day for a slightly higher price. What's really happening, though, is that big institutional investors with cash to spare are parking that with Wall Street dealers that need funding. Quote, while this plan has been underway for many months, the inclusion of these highly liquid assets also provides additional protection for the USDC reserve in the unlikely event of a United States debt default, a Circle, Circle spokesperson emailed in a note. Circle is doing this as U.S. lawmakers are locked in discussion with President Joe Biden's administration over raising the government's ability to issue new debt, also known as the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen <clears throat> said that the Treasury Department is set to run out of cash by early June unless the debt limit is raised. As part of the preparation, Circles Fund ditched treasuries that mature beyond the date, the end, oh, sorry, that mature beyond the end of this month as of May the 10th with rotating the assets into cash or government repo transactions instead, the Circle spokesperson said. The collateral for any such repo transactions excludes securities maturing within three days, the spokesperson added, quote, we don't want to carry exposure through a potential breach of the ability of the United States government to pay its debts. Jeremy Allaire, chief executive officer of Circle, said last week in an interview with Politico. Yeah, so even, even Circle is putting some serious distance between them and the clown show that's the federal government and their ongoing discussions on, I don't know, how to wreck the economy even more, I guess. But whatever. <clears throat> now we're on to Ledger. Ledger just can't stop shoving things in their mouth. Seizing upon Ledger's stumble, hardware wallet competitors offer discounts. Decrypt.co, Pedro Salamano is writing this one. After yesterday's controversial update, Competitors are capitalizing on Ledger's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day by attempting to court its disillusioned customers with discounted prices on their offerings. In a stroke of rapid strategic marketing, four of Ledger, Ledger's main rivals were quick to respond to the community pushback to the update and slashed prices on their products. Blockstream is offering a 10% discount on its flagship wallet, Jade. Trezor is offering a 15% discount. Cold Card is showcasing a 15% discount as well. And Bitbox has marked down their wallets by 10%. The companies have also been touting their open source code and refusal to entertain any compromise of self-custody. The main source of ire from the crypto community towards Ledger was due to Tuesday's introduction of Ledger Recover, an opt-in ID-based private key recovery service that allows users to back up their seed phrases to their personal identity via three, count them three, different custodians. Across crypto Twitter yesterday, as well as today, users were so disgusted 
with the company. Some went so far as to burn and break their ledger devices. <laughs> Jesus. Jameson Lopp, CTO of Casa and renowned cybersecurity expert, told Decrypt yesterday that the main source of risk with Ledger's update is due to the closed source nature of its firmware. Echoing and building upon this sentiment was Seth for Privacy, the pseudonymous head for, of content for foundation devices who emphasized on Twitter that the new feature means you have no connect, well, I'm sorry, means you have to connect your identity to your Ledger account, giving yet another KYC pain point for data leaks, hacks, and government censorship or surveillance. Whether Ledger Recover will prove to be the company's biggest flop or best move at grabbing market share among those not comfortable with personal private key management is anyone's guess, but its rivals are banking on a flop. And it's probably going to flop because as I keep saying, Ledger cannot stop putting their foot in their mouth. There's this one from Coindesk written by Jamie Crawley. <clears throat> Ledger continues to defend recovery system, says it's always technically possible to extract users' keys. So if you wanted to scare the living shit out of somebody even further, that's exactly what you say in public, in a press release. Let's find out more. Crypto wallet maker Ledger dug itself into yet a deeper public relations hole on Wednesday when its support team said on Twitter that it is and always has been possible for the firm to extract its users' keys. <laughs> no. Bad. Who who's allowing this these people to write these these things and release them to the public? They should honestly they should be tarred and feathered and then fired. Oh my God, this is awful. While answering queries about the firm's new wallet recovery service, Ledger Support sent a couple of bizarre tweets which would have done little to assuage its users' concerns, suggesting that it could make its customers' assets vulnerable in any way it wanted but has thus far not done so. Quote, Technically speaking, it is and always has been possible to write firmware that facilitates key extraction. You have always trusted Ledger not to deploy such firmware, whether you knew it or not, it said. Quote, It's important to understand that at the end of the day, any hardware wallet solution a user chooses to go with will always require that person to trust this developer to build and maintain a secure device to store your assets, end quote. Ledger's recover service has met with consternation from the crypto community earlier this week on grounds that it undermines the firm's brief of privacy and security. The optional recovery service would allow users to back up their seed recovery phrase through encrypting it in fragments with third parties. Users fear that splitting the key between third parties could leave it vulnerable, effectively negating the main purpose of a hardware wallet against other storage options. Ledger has argued that this sort of backup option is in fact popular, as the possibility of assets becoming unrecoverable simply, simply by mislaying a random set of words could prove a deterrent to investing in crypto. Quote, what the future customers want what the future customers want, CEO Pascal Gautier said during a tweet space. This is the way that the next hundred million people will actually onboard into crypto, end quote. Justin Sun, founder of Tron and stakeholder in crypto exchange Hobie, also defended Ledger, describing the company as a reliable partner time and time again. Quote, I am confident that Ledger will persist in their dedication 
to serving their customers with the highest quality hardware wallets. Their commitment to security and customer service is unparalleled. So they've got Justin Sun shilling for their, their shit. Do you trust Justin Sun? No, you shouldn't. <laughs> the fact that he's not yet in jail or in bankruptcy is kind of mind-boggling, but it is what it is. But no, you don't trust Justin Sun. All right, so how is it that your marketing team or your customer service head comes up with, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if we publicly release the following statement. Technically speaking, it is and always has been possible to write firmware that facilitates key extraction. You've just trusted us whether you knew it or not. That's the whole thing. The hardware wallet is a trust model. The entire, the entire revenue model is based around trust. And the way that the, the best trust model works is proving time and time again that you can't do this. It's impossible for me as the manufacturer to do this, which is one of the reasons why I use cold card. It's the, it's the things that are being put into the cold card that make me trust the cold card. I won't go into it because I'm not, you know, I'm not a chip engineer. It's just that I've been listening to Rodolfo Novak for years. I've been reading what he's been writing for years. I know how paranoid this guy is, and he's been paranoid about security for years. I trust the fact that he's paranoid. <laughs> I also trust the fact that he's doing right by his customers. That's a trust model. But he would never come up with the idiocy of telling people that, oh yeah, yeah, I've always been able to extract your private keys. You know, it's, it's a bizarre turn of events that Ledger would actually put this out into the wind. It's amazing coming off of the debacle that they're coming off of. And well, actually they're not coming off of anything because they keep fanning the fire. Guys, any of you guys out there with companies, be careful about, I mean, be deadly careful. Have discussions with your team about what the perception is before you release a press release, something like this. This is ridiculous. This should never have gone out. There's no way to, to, to claw it back. Once it's out in the, on the internet, it's going to be screen capped and marauded forever. Don't do this. I, I think Ledger is, I'm pretty sure Ledger is done. There's no reason in the world to trust this company at all. They've demonstrated 100% that they're incapable of holding on to your data without getting hacked because they have been hacked. Now they're incapable of understanding their customers' needs and talking to them in a language that suggests that they understand their customers' needs. Scaring your customers to death by saying, oh, we've always been able to extract your keys. We just don't do it because, you know, hey, you, you can trust us, right? Right? No, 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 no. And now on to better news. Azteco <clears throat> has released the following statement, which <laughs> this is the way you release a statement. We're delighted to announce that Azteco has raised $6 million in seed funding round led by Jack Dorsey with participation from Lightning Ventures, Hivemind Ventures, 
Rideway Ventures, Aleka Capital, Vissery Capital, and I think Ganglis, David, David Vanderweel, and Sunil Rajarman. Okay, so Azteco is a way that you can go buy Bitcoin KYC free in person by handing somebody cash and then you getting a voucher, right? The person that has to KYC themselves is the vendor, the guy that actually has the machine that prints the receipt that has a QR code on it that you can then get the Bitcoin from. All right, so that that's it's about that simple. You walk in with 10 bucks, you get a paper receipt, you scan the QR code, boom, Bitcoin in your wallet. You didn't hand over an ID. You did nothing. These guys are all over the place now. And they seem very, very centered on Brazil and uh, Latin America, which I really, I think is the best move. But $6 million. Now there's, when I, I don't know, I re, re-noted it on Noster and I got a little bit of pushback from a guy who was saying, well, that's $6 million. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of, Nothing, honestly, considering that there's nine partners in the fundraising round, including Jack Dorsey. Okay, fair enough. But $6 million for a crew of seven people, because that's how big Azteco is. That includes Budion and his partner, and I can't remember his partner's name. But after that, there's just five other people that are involved in this company, other than the vendors, of which there are hundreds of thousands. But the company itself, Azteco, you're talking about a crew of seven people. That's almost $1 million per person. I actually think from the size and the length of time that this company's been you know, doing what they've been doing, I think that's a sizable round. I, I really do. These guys have been bootstrapping themselves for, I don't know, longer than six or seven years, probably a, hell, a lot longer than that as far as I know. But I, it's one of the oldest names that I know in the Bitcoin space. I've always known Azteco. And now they got $6 million. And I just don't think that that's small potatoes, considering what they've been able to do with almost nothing. So you take it how you want. But I, I'm reading that as in very good news. Now, not good news for Sam Bankman fried FTX leadership sues Sam Bankman fried for over 200 $20 million deal made prior to the bankruptcy. Uh, Luke Hoogsloot is writing it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> FTX lawyers are suing former CEO Sam Bankman fried co-founder Zhao Wang, and former senior executive Nishad Singh over the $220 million acquisition of stock clearing platform Embed, alleging a lack of due diligence. According to a May 17th filing, FTX paid $220 million to acquire Embed through its United States subsidiary after having allegedly performed almost no due diligence on the platform. After FTX filed for bankruptcy, the judge in charge of the proceedings approved the sales of Embed and other assets of FTX, but the top bidder for the platform offered just $1 million, with FTX's lawyers stating, quote, the bidders had figured out what the FTX group and FTX insiders did not bother to assess prior to the embed acquisition, namely that embed, embed's vaunted software platform was essentially worthless, end quote. While 12 entities had submitted non-binding indications of interest, the largest of which was $78 million, 
All but one declined to submit a final bid after conducting more comprehensive due diligence. Embed's founder and former CEO, Michael Gillis. I don't know why they put that in there. It's just as whatever. Okay. According to FTX's lawyers, Gillies had personally received approximately $157 million in connection with the acquisition, but his final bid to regain ownership of Embed was a paltry $1 million subject to reductions at closing. The lawyers additionally accused the FTX insiders of taking advantage of the FTX group's lack of controls and record keeping to perpetuate a massive fraud by using misappropriated customer funds to facilitate the purchase of Embed while fully aware that the company was insolvent when finalizing the deal. The lawyers further alleged that misleading records were created to obscure Alameda Research's role in funding the embed acquisition, claiming funds had been transferred between FTX entities, not from Bankman Fried, Singh, and Wang, as claimed. FTX wants the transactions to be labeled as avoidable, fraudulent transfers and obligations and or preferences, in addition to having claims made by the defendants disallowed until FTX can recoup the funds lost through avoidable transfers. And then they talk about when FTX filed for bankruptcy, which was November the 11th of last year. Okay, so the further they dig, the deeper the hole goes. They just keep finding more shit. And now FTX, the, his own former company, is suing Sam Bankman Fried for further charge. This guy is like the most fraudulent person that I think has ever existed at this point. I mean, what... Was it Kenneth Lay from Enron? I, I honestly think Sam Bankman Fried has one-upped Ken Lay I, and, and his crew. It, this is just, it just never freaking ends. But now on to better news. <clears throat> Bitcoin Lightning Company LightSpark introduces LightSpark Wallet Software Development Kit Bitcoin Magazine BTC Casey. LightSpark has announced the launch of the LightSpark Wallet SDK, a tool designed to enable businesses of all sizes the ability to offer their customers a Lightning Wallet. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, LightSpark aims to make the Lightning Network more accessible and mainstream, ensuring that payments are open, secure, and instant. The press release explained that the LightSpark Wallet SDK is the result of careful consideration of businesses' needs and feedback from customers. The SDK is tailored for seamless usage by business of all sizes and stages, the company stated, with easy integration and the ability to acquire add un, sorry, the ability to add unique UI and brand identity. It aims to simplify the complexity of lightning payments, allowing businesses to focus on building exceptional user experiences without worrying about technical intricacies such as setting up channels and rebalancing liquidity. Oh God, that would be so nice. The SDK also incorporates LightSpark Predict, which offers low latency, high payment success rates, and low cost, ensuring reliable and capital efficient lightning payments according to the press release. By leveraging LightSpark Predict, the release explained businesses gain better connectivity to the wider Lightning Network, enhancing reliability and certainty when sending and receiving payments. Also highlighted by the company were recent partnerships, which proved the growing adoption of Lightning amongst businesses. Zappo Bank became the first bank to integrate with the Lightning Network via LightSpark, allowing its members to pay for small purchases with Bitcoin directly without converting to USD first. In addition, 
the LightSpark highlight or LightSpark highlighted partnerships with Rain, the largest crypto asset platform in the MENA region, which is enabling its users to execute real-time Bitcoin transactions using LightSpark and Flexa, a digital commerce integration provider that has leveraged LightSpark to help businesses navigate to the next era of commerce. All right, so there you go. LightSpark helping everybody out. Now, if I can find it, I'm going to see if I can't find this thing again. Um, Let's see if I can find it. Yep, here it is. Bitcoin Magazine uh, put out a note on Noster, and I'm sure on a tweet on Twitter, that says this. Just in, former PayPal president, quote, I've decided to dedicate the rest of my life in building on Bitcoin and specifically on Lightning. Now, if this is true, if, if this guy is actually not blowing smoke up everybody's ass, this is kind of about, about as big as Jack Dorsey and, well, it is. <laughs> uh, th- this guy, and I can't remember his name right now. Um, I'm looking right at a picture of him and, and his name's just, name totally escapes me. But to to make a statement, and I'm assuming he's making the statement at uh, Bitcoin 2023, that he's going to dedicate the rest of his life to Bitcoin and Lightning. Wow, because he's got a shit ton of money. I mean, like a metric shit ton of money. And this is what he's going to focus on. Is it David Marcus? I think that's the guy's name. In either event, this dude is just, looks like he's calling the ball. This is cool. Let's run the numbers. Hey, hey, remember how I told you to not sleep on AI? Well, breaking news from CNBC Futures and Commodities says ChatGPT launches an iOS app, says Android is coming. Don't sleep on this shit. It's it, the, the most dangerous thing you can do is sleep on Bitcoin, sleep on Lightning, sleep on Noster, and now sleeping on artificial intelligence. It doesn't mean you need to embrace it and get down on one knee and give it a ring and offer your, you know, your hand in, in marriage. But it does mean that if you ignore it, it's probably going to stab your ass in the back. But <clears throat> let's do energy. West Texas Intermediate down 1.43%, $71.85. Brent, Brent North Sea, 1.5% to the downside, 75.77. But natural gas is doing its thing. It's the only one going up. And by almost 9%, $2.57 per thousand. Gasoline is down scant to $2.56 a gallon. Yeah. Shiny metal rocks are having a bad day. Sorry, Peter Schiff, but gold is down one and a third to $1,958. Silver is down 1.12%. Platinum is down 2.28%. Copper is down 1.7%. Palladium is down a whole 2.25 percentage points. We've got wheat down 2.48% as the biggest loser. The biggest winner today is uh, soybean, 0.32% to the upside. I got live cattle. 0.05% to the downside. Lean hogs are down 0.15. Feeder cattle, only thing gaining ground, 1.11% to the upside. 
Dow, the Dow is down a half point. S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is up 1.11%. S&P is down, or <clears throat> S&P mini is down 0.12%. I'm still get, not getting over how they've already launched an iOS app. This shit is moving fast on ChatGPT. God dang it. Bitcoin <clears throat> struggling $27,059. We've got 397 BTC sent around the horn. And, no, 397,000. Having a bad day today, guys. Uh, at least on talking anyway. Everything else is fine. But dude, I was struggling today. I don't have enough coffee. 397,000 BTC sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. Ooh, yeah, 0.8 BTC average transaction value, median transaction value is $10.06. So ordinals are still ruling the day. Block times are nine minutes and 28 seconds. I got 0.6 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 94.9 BTC taken in in the last 24 hours. <coughs> Looks like we had a difficulty adjustment. Uh, we are at 48.7 trillion. <coughs> Dang. Yeah, 48.7 trillion. So the difficulty adjustment did happen uh, sometime while I was sleeping. We've got a 3.17% increase in hash rate to 386.9 exahashes per second. We need the rest of that 420 because that's what it was. <coughs> Good Lord, have mercy. Your shitcoin indicator is doge, 7.4 United States pennies. Looking square in the face of a $524.3 billion market capitalization, that's just underneath 4% of gold's entire market cap. There are 19,376,905 BTC in circulation and 5,301 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $143.5 million. We got 71,763 payment channels that we can see and 64.8% of all that's being run over Tor. Uh, estimated difficulty change really doesn't matter right now, but it's flashing negative 6.5% coming on May the 31st, 2023. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I just got a, a text message. All kinds of shit's happening today. Weird. Mempool is packed and stacked. Looks like we've got 221 blocks waiting on... Uh, waiting to clear, they're carrying 305,000 unconfirmed transactions. And good Lord Almighty, 137 Satoshis per V-byte is your low priority transaction fee. And your high priority or next block consideration is 184 Satoshis per V-byte. Good mercy. I have dropped back out of the top 10. I'm number 11 right now. But thank you to Saints and Sats for the $1,000 boost, helping me for the brief period of time that I was back in the top 10 with this boost, says Sam Altman Fried. That name is going to stick. I hope so, man, because that dude is evil. Dubrovko with another 1,000 Sats says, don't tug for evil, tug for good. <laughs> Nick underscore dose uh, says, was thinking the same. Nick underscore dose with a boost of 169 says, Here's the last of my fountain sats. Time to re-up. Thanks for another great episode and cheers. <clears throat> and Pies with 100 sats says, pure signal. Thank you to all the guys. It doesn't matter how big your boosts are, how little your boosts are. I just like hearing from you. I really do. I don't really care that I'm in the top 10. It just helps 
me get the show into a position that is more easily discoverable, if that makes sense, because discovery is everything. And in a sea of noise, trying to get your one voice out there is difficult. I've been doing it for over four years and I'm still small potatoes. I mean, that's sort of like the whole Azteco model where you just hell bent on bootstrapping. Yeah, well, there's you, you, you pay a price for that. You really do. <laughs> that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. And I just just saw this headline from Cointelegraph that says, I'm not going to read it, but it says, moral responsibility. Can blockchain really improve trust in AI? Are, are, are you kidding me? We put bananas on the blockchain. We've put everything on the blockchain. And now they want to put AI on the blockchain, or at least a trust model for AI. I mean, what are they going to do? Put like an Oracle that compares what, what does this even mean? What it like, are, are they saying that if I put in a prompt for chat GPT, that it's going to be embedded in a blockchain and the response will also be embedded in the same blockchain and somehow or another that's going to help. See, I don't know. I probably should read it, but I won't because we've got this one and this one's important. I think it's, I think it's signaling that they might know something about the future of the SEC and their stance on Ethereum. Prashant Jha, Cointelegraph, Grayscale and Bitwise distance themselves from Ether Futures ETF plans. Can't imagine why. Two prominent crypto asset managers have halted their Ether Futures exchange traded fund plans amid growing scrutiny from United States regulators. On May the 17th, Grayscale filed an amendment to its Securities and Exchange Commission filing to remove mentions of an Ether Futures ETF. The amendment comes less than a week after sharing plans to launch a trio of ETF products. The other two flagship products include a semi-spot Bitcoin ETF that would invest in the spot BTC market and a privacy ETF focused on investing in privacy-focused blockchain companies and digital assets. Grayscale's amendment to its ETF filing came just days after the SEC asked the asset manager to pull its application for a Filecoin trust. We'll get into that one later. The regulatory body warned that its underlying asset, Filecoin, qualifies as, an, as a security. Grayscale responded to the SEC's accusation claiming the underlying asset does not qualify as a security. The firm intends to respond promptly to the SEC staff with an explanation of the legal basis for Grayscale's position. Bitwise, <clears throat> on the other hand, has withdrawn its application to launch an ETH-based futures ETF altogether. In its amendment, filing with the SEC on May the 17th, the crypto asset manager claimed that it doesn't intend to seek effectiveness of the fund and no securities of the fund were sold or will be sold pursuant to the above-mentioned post-effective amendment to the trust's resignation statement, or rather registration statement, end quote. Bitwise didn't respond to a request for comment. A Bitcoin-based futures ETF debuted in the last quarter of 2021, making many 
in the crypto industry believed that a spot crypto ETF was on the way. However, after two years and a barrage of crypto carnages in 2022, regulators have grown skeptical of such products. Yeah, again, I can't imagine why. But yeah, so Bitwise and Grayscale both pulling the plug on any kind of Ether Futures ETF. Uh, I don't know, dude. To me, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like they know something is about to come down the pipe. I don't know anything further than what I just read you. But my gut feeling is you don't, you don't do this. You don't waste your, your legal team and your legal staff's time to do these kind of maneuvers because you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay their time to do that shit, right? So they're not going to force work to be done unless they want to distance themselves for a reason. What would that reason be? Well, the SEC calling Ethereum flat out security because you want to talk about carnage in the markets. If the SEC flat out comes out and says, Ethereum, that's a security act, you know, respond accordingly. Oh, you can't imagine the carnage. I, I, it needs to happen because Ethereum is a security, but the carnage that it will cause, Ooh, I mean, it'll affect everything. It'll affect Bitcoin. It will. It just, it just will because it's the psychology of the masses in the streets. And those are honestly, those are, (laughs) those are reactions that you want to stay away from. I, seriously, you can get hurt if you don't. Now, <clears throat> let's do this one. Fiat money debases family values. Bitcoin, however, inspires them. Mickey Koss for BitcoinNews.com. I saw some people freaking out on social media recently about a former Trump official encouraging people to get married and have children. While I can't find the posts anymore, the message was pretty concise. How dare you? And who is going to pay for this? For thousands of years, adult humans have been pairing up to produce the next generation. For most of that time, there has been no governmental assistance. In the grand scheme of history, there actually hasn't really been a government at all. You think things are bad now? Just wait until universal basic income that you want so badly rolls out. What's the price of a staple good you can no longer get your hands on? When prices can't adjust, lest businesses be accused of greed and profiteering, the only alternative is through adjustments in supply. Shortages are also a cost of inflation. The price effectively becomes infinity. You pay for things now or you pay for things later. There is no free lunch. The real question we need to be asking is, what do we value? At work, I hear people complaining about money issues, and yet they drive nice cars, go on nice trips, and frequently party on the weekends. I am concerned that the societal time presence has skewed so far that we risk falling into a period of financial nihilism. Iterated out into the future, the result is the extinction of the human species. No birth rate, no future. This problem is especially difficult for those with jobs that cannot be done remotely. The dichotomy of where the jobs are, but where you can afford to live is stark, and it's drastically affecting people. A conversation with one of my friends about that was the inspiration for this article. Monetary debasement is not only debasing family values, 
but preventing good people from starting families that want them. A shift in culture is needed. The Bitcoin prescription is the medicinal cure for what ails you. I don't contribute to retirement accounts anymore. Not because I don't believe I will live long enough to enjoy the fruits of my labor, but because I reject the premise that I must wait that long to do so. I have hope for the future that was previously non-existent and confidence that I can achieve my goals prior to the ripe old age of 59.5 years old. Even at the presumed bottom of the bear market, I felt secure, having accrued more savings for my family than we had previously had at the height of our net worth before taking the orange pill. I have three kids and a wife. We don't live extravagantly, but we don't need to. The dichotomy of having enough, but always wanting more still exists, but in a different form. We save our time in sats, knowing full well what lies ahead. We look towards the future and plan on enjoying it together as a family with our sovereign, hard-won wealth. Expensive experiences are meaningless if you don't have someone to share them with. Having kids has made our lives richer. Bitcoin has refocused our efforts. There's a lot in there. There really is. There's time preference in there. There's family values in there. There's potential Bitcoin hyper or hyper Bitcoinization in there. But it's the retirement account section that really kind of gets me because I've talked about this on several occasions. And it generally sounds like this when I talk about it. Is the brightest spot of your day looking at your 401k? Then perhaps... Perhaps a attitude adjustment is in order because really, I mean, honestly, really is how's that not looking forward to death? Of course, many people out there will look at me and say, dude, I'm just looking forward to not having to work anymore. Okay. I get it. But does that mean that you hate your job? Because if so, then are you, what, what, what's the definition of living? At this point, you're doing something that you hate. You're trying to stack enough cash that's being devalued right in front of your eyes. You can't spend it now, so you have to spend it later. But you have no idea what it's going to be worth in the future because nobody has any trust in the value of the U.S. dollar. And that's not just that's just not our trading partners in the, around the world. That's United States citizenry at home now is like going, dude, I, I don't know if I trust this shit. And they're trapped because they, maybe a lot of them don't have time to learn about Bitcoin. And even if they do have enough time to learn about Bitcoin, will they get the message? What, through what lenses are they looking at Bitcoin through? It just, all of this is, we're all in a very precarious situation. Of course, I, I, go, to sleep, I go to sleep at night because I, I buy Bitcoin and I hold Bitcoin. And sure, I mean, you know, we're in the, we're in the, desert portion of the bear market. This is where everybody is exhausted. This is where it's like, oh my God, it keeps going sideways. And then you get these bumps and you feel good for a couple of days. And then somebody rugs somebody else. And the next thing you know, you're back down to 27,000, you know, and then you go down to like 26.4, 26.2. And then you come back up and that, that upslope makes you feel good. And then it just kind of drags on. And you realize when you zoom out that, We've been here forever, or at least that's what it feels like. So I get that everybody's exhausted, but it's not just us. Everybody in the world is exhausted. 
And we, that exhaustion can lead to things like, I don't want kids. They're too expensive or their carbon footprint or what, what, whatever, whatever the bullshit that you've been fed about not having a family because of X, Y, and Z reasons is all bullshit. What future is there without having children? What present is there without having family? Dude, at the very first beef initiative conference in Kerrville, Texas, I was talking to some dudes and very much younger than I was. And they asked me, one of them asked me, he said, if you had any piece of advice to give somebody that was younger than you, what would you tell them? And I mean, literally without pause, I said, have children. I was like, ignore what everybody's telling you about how expensive they are and, you know, what a time suck they are. Just ignore it. Go find somebody, marry them and have children with them. Because the gains that you find redefine what you think, what all the stuff that you thought was important, about 80% of it dies on the vine when you have children. And you realize that, shit, I was worried about that. Yeah, that worry, this thing worries me too. This thing worries me more than the debt ceiling or Ukraine and Russia or the fact that our, you know, <laughs> commander in chief is probably delusional, if not absolute, absolutely senile. None of that worries me as much as the perception that having children is bad. I, I don't even know what to say to those people because it makes no sense to me. And then I don't know what to say to those people because I don't know why it makes sense to them other than the fact that they've been programmed to think that way. And it's scary to watch people get programmed so fast, so easily, and it didn't take all that much money to do so. I, it just, it always rocks my world when I, when I read about stuff, stuff like this. Anyway, so Ron DeSantis, as we all know, he banned CBDC, CBDCs in Florida. Well, these states could be next. Matt DeSalvo from Decrypt.co. <clears throat> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill last week to ban central bank digital currencies in the Sunshine State. And now others appear to want to follow into his footsteps. Currently, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, and North Dakota have all drafted bills opposing a, U, a digital dollar. CBDCs are a hot topic. Unlike cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, CBDCs are overseen and operated by a central facility. Only 11 countries so far have launched a CBDC, according to the Atlantic Council's tracker, but many other nations are researching and trialing technology. China's digital one is obviously the most advanced. <clears throat> America's central bank, the Federal Reserve, has been talking about a CBDC for some time, but hasn't given any major details on whether one will actually be released. In March, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said that the Fed hadn't decided on whether a CBDC was needed in the States. And the Fed's website currently states that the body has made no decision on issuing a central bank digital currency and would only proceed with the issuance of a CBDC with an authorizing law, end quote. But politicians throughout the United States are still worried, and a number have expressed concern and called for opposition to a digital dollar through draft bills, none of which have advanced 
as much as Florida's bill has. Texas lawmakers this month introduced a draft, quote, expressing opposition to the creation of a central bank digital currency, end quote, Texas Senate Concurrent Resolution 25 bill, claiming that a digital dollar, quote, could lead to unprecedented levels of government surveillance and control over private cash holdings and transactions, end quote. While North Dakota representatives, quote, The adoption of a central bank digital currency in the United States bill says that the adoption of a CBDC by a federal government would hand unprecedented control over the lives, freedoms, choices, and sovereignty of the people of North Dakota to the Federal Reserve. The legislature of Louisiana, or Louisiana, however you want to pronounce it, The legislature of Louisiana lawmakers said that the technology raises significant concerns over privacy for individuals and businesses in Louisiana and urged U.S. Congress to not support CBDC legislation. Perhaps the closest to Florida's radical law is Alabama's draft bill debated today, which would, quote, prohibit any state or government local agency from accepting CBDCs as a form of payment. Lawmakers opposing CBDCs are overwhelmingly Republican, making the topic of a centralized digital currency in the states a very partisan issue. Governor DeSantis has described the idea as woke, while anti-crypto Democrat Elizabeth Warren has called for the U.S. to push ahead with the CBDC. But until the Federal Reserve actually announces what it is doing with the technology, CBDCs might just be more fodder for a political culture war. I wholeheartedly agree with that one. But it's good that the states are pushing this way. I wish it was more bipartisan. I, I really do. Because the, the issue of this becoming a wholly partisan thing puts it squarely in the realm of red versus blue team. And people that are gathered around the gladiatorial fights think in a much more squelched way when it comes to nuances than if they're just the man on the street going, I kind of don't want somebody knowing that I bought coffee today. I, I don't know. That, that seems like at one point or another, I could get a call from my health insurance provider saying, dude, you're drinking too much coffee. And I say, how do you know? And it's like, well, because we have your financial transaction records and history right in front of us. And that's part of whether or not we continue to decide to give you ongoing health insurance through your employer. Why does my, you know, and then your employer might know you, you know, Dave, your monthly performance review, we, we got to talk about the amount of, uh, this uh, <clears throat> cheap, fun beer that you drink, <clears throat> which, by the way, is very good. Uh, what was it called? Cheap beer. Yeah. It's cheap fun, but I think it's actually the name of it is cheap beer in, 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 either, one, in either event. Maybe my employer says, you know, two beers a day, dude. You drank two beers a day last week. I um, think, we, you know, that, that's going to go on your, on your review. All of this is possible with the CBDC bullshit. Because once the CBDC rolls out, the only other question is, who has access to the data? Will there be government auctions on a yearly basis or a quarterly basis of the data collected by the Federal Reserve if a CBDC happens? Don't, don't, I mean, the United States government will take any cash that they can get. Any government will. If you don't think that they wouldn't auction that shit off like they do treasury bill auctions, you're fooling yourself. 
And then all of a sudden, the state of Texas gets it gets the data or the state of Washington gets the data and guess who has access to that data? All the state institutions, including all the universities. So if you're a student, do you, is that going to affect you being able to graduate? I'm just saying, dude, none of this, none of this is good. All of it's bad. The 10th amendment is the state's first amendment. It's their freedom to operate. The states have their own First Amendment, and it's called the Tenth Amendment. You might want to read that one. In fact, while you're at it, the amendment language in the amendments are very short. They're not like whole paragraphs or pages and pages and pages. No, they're they're one or two sentences, especially the early ones. They're very simple to read. So read the Ninth Amendment, the Tenth Amendment, and the Eleventh Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. Do that today for your homework. It'll take you all of five minutes, seriously. The SEC warns that Filecoin meets the definition of a security, according to Grayscale. Tom Mitchell Hill is writing it for Cointelegraph. The United States SEC has asked Grayscale Investments to pull its application for a Filecoin trust, warning that Filecoin could be seen as a security. According to a May 17th announcement from Grayscale, the firm initially lodged a Form 10 application with the regulator to launch an updated Filecoin trust product on April the 14th. Form 10 would see the firm's pre-existing Filecoin trust product become more akin to a public company, which would file quarterly reports on its financial activity. Grayscale said it received a comment letter on May the 16th, where regulators then warned that FIL or file meets the definition of a security under federal law and asked them to withdraw the application for the trust product. Grayscale stated that in its view, Filecoin is not a security. Well, of course they stated that. Quote, Grayscale does not believe that FIL is a security under the federal securities laws and intends to respond promptly to the SEC staff with an explanation of the legal basis for Grayscale's position, end quote. Grayscale noted that it can't predict whether or not the SEC will be persuaded into accepting its explanation and may seek accommodations for the registration of the trust. Alternatively, the investment firm warned that it may be forced to dissolve the trust in its entirety. Dude, the SEC is coming out swinging, guys. What I told you about them running away from the ETF, this is part of it. All of this is the SEC and, and Gensler just... There, it's saddle up, boys. All of this shit is a security. If you have any of this garbage, get rid of it by Bitcoin. Telling you, the Grayscale Filecoin Trust was launched by the asset manager on March the seventeenth, twenty twenty-one, alongside similar offerings for Oracle Network, Chainlink, and Metaverse platform Decentraland. Launched in 2014 by California-based tech company Protocol Labs, Filecoin is a decentralized platform for data storage, which nobody uses, where users pay in the native FIL token to have their data stored with providers who in turn earned FIL for their services. Jesus, that's the very definition of a freaking security. Expectation of income. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Sale of a thing with the expectation of income on that thing through the efforts of a third party. This isn't hard. It's not hard at all. 
Filecoin is a security. This update from the SEC marks a continuation of the watchdog's crackdown on crypto products, which has recently come down hard on a number of U.S. crypto exchanges. And they talk about the exchanges, but we're not going to get into that because it's just basically the end of the article. Uh, okay, so yeah, Filecoin is a security. I mean, you're going to buy Filecoin so you can trade uh, Filecoin so that you can earn more Filecoin. You, dude, no, no, that's third-party expectation of uh, profits in the future given the purchase of a thing. It's the very definition of what the uh, Howie or United States versus Howie, where the Howie test came in. And I just, that's what I've been talking about. The expectation of a future profit through the efforts of a third party, purchasing of a thing. That's all part of the Howie test. And that was, I think, 1933. United States government versus Howie. And he was Florida Orange Grove operator and owner. And he was selling orange trees to people. And he would manage those trees for people and they would make money in the future. And basically he was just trying to get money because he was gonna go bankrupt if he didn't. And he came up with this idea and securities were born. <laughs> or at least we've always had securities, but th the, the way that we define what a security is and have been using that definition for years, yeah, that U US versus Howie was, was that's where it came from, just so you know. But if you hold Filecoin, sell it for Bitcoin as fast as you possibly can. All right, last one up for the day. <clears throat> U.S. Bitcoin Corporation to host 150,000 Bitcoin mining rigs. They called it crypto, but I'm correcting Coindesk and Eliza Gritsky for that particular snafu. U.S. Bitcoin Corporation has signed multi-year agreements to host 150,000 Bitcoin mining machines with major firms including Marathon Digital Holdings, the firm told Coindesk. The deal showcases the apparent rebound in the mining industry, which is trying to rise after a rough 2022. Last year's crypto downturn led to a lot of major miners going bankrupt, uh, including Compute North, which was originally running the three USBTC sites. The three Bitcoin mines are in Kearney, Nebraska, as well as Granbury and Upton County. And, oh, sorry, as well as Granbury and Upton counties in Texas. Energy investment firm Generate Capital bought Compute North Stake in two of the sites, one in Nebraska and one in Texas, whereas the Upton County facility, facility is owned and operated in a 50-50 joint venture with Next Era Energy. <clears throat> Foundry, Sphere3D, Decimal Group, and TeslaWatt are among USBTC's new hosting clients. Foundry is owned by Coindesk's parent company, Digital Currency Group. USBTC is in the middle of a merger with Canadian Hut 8 Mining, one of the biggest consolidation moves in the mining industry. While USBTC has seen positive developments in its operations, it has also reached an agreement with the city of Niagara Falls to continue operating its Bitcoin mine there. HUD-8 has been facing operational difficulties. USBTC declined to comment on the estimated value of the hosting deal, citing merger disclosure rules. Yeah, they're not going to be allowed to say a, a damn word about that. But Upton County is an interesting county in Texas. There's a, quite, quite a bit of natural gas out there. Uh, so it kind of makes sense. But the other thing to note about Upton County is that it's West Texas. And summertime, we're talking about temperatures that can hit 115. 
Fahrenheit. It's it's very, very hot out there for long periods of time. I mean, this shit can be well into the hundreds, well into September. I've seen hundreds in the first part of October in West Texas, guys. So those mining rigs in Upton County, those are going to be under a hell of a lot of stress. But the other thing that I find kind of fascinating is the pit the potential for pre-building natural gas pipelines. Because one of the things about natural gas is that A, its price on the open market fluctuates way worse than Bitcoin does. 8% rises, 10% drops, 20% rises, 7% drops. It's all over the place and it's every day. And, uh, and in aggregate, natural gas isn't really at $2 a thousand cubic feet, let's say, it's really not worth it to build a pipeline. So that's why you get a lot of stranded natural gas wells. And wells that have been pumped dry for oil are still, still are producing natural gas. If they've capped it well, like the wellhead, if they've actually done a good job at capping it, not a whole lot of methane leaks out. But if they don't do a good job at capping it, methane is just continuously flowing into the atmosphere. A Bitcoin miner going out somewhere in the, the I mean, Upton County is almost empty, guys. It's, there's nothing out there. Nobody, there's not enough population to warrant building natural gas pipelines. But what if you've got a big, big old Bitcoin mining concern out in the middle of that nowhere, and you're making enough money on Bitcoin to say, I want to connect all these wells together and you do it with pipelines. And then you've got, at that point, you've got a central hub. Where would that central hub be? Well, right by the, the Bitcoin mining farm, because that's where your AC generation is going to take place, burning the natural gas that you're collecting from all these wells. If you've got a single hub, a single hub that's collected up the collective natural gas from like, let's say a quarter of a county in Texas, that's huge. Well, then all of a sudden, you've got upstream guys that are going to say, well, shit. Now, they'll start rerunning the numbers as to whether or not they want to connect to that hub and take it to one of their hubs. Because a lot of the major work, the, the connecting of individual gas wells, has already been done. I think about that a lot. But again, it's good that we're still seeing uh, <clears throat> miners continuing to do their thing, buy mining rigs, not go bankrupt. It's good for the future. It's good for Bitcoin. The only thing I don't like about it is consolidation, but you know, I got nothing to say about that. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. How was Rome split in two? With a pair of Caesars. Get it? <laughs> I hope I made you cringe on that one. Uh, don't sleep on artificial intelligence. You may hate it. I get it. I'm not a fan. I kind of wish it wasn't going to happen. But there's only one way out. You've got to be a master of it. You've, you're going to have to be a master of it. You're going to have to truly understand how it works. And I'm not talking about the getting down to the algorithm, algorithmic level, the higher math, the coding and all that stuff. No, 
No, no, no. I mean, just be become competent at being able to do art, write copy, summarize articles, those things. And that's done at the at the personal user experience level, the user interface or the UI. Concentrate there. If you want to go further, I highly recommend it. If you're mathematically minded, coding minded, algorithm minded, sure, dude, knock yourself out. But for the regular people that are just, they just don't want to learn coding or they don't want to figure out how to read it, I get it. But that, that you don't have to go any further than going to like Stable Diffusion and putting in prompts and making art. NIM on Noster, N-Y-M, is continuously producing some of the best AI-generated art I've ever seen. He's getting good at it. I've watched NIM come from where we all start, where whatever we're returned on our prompts by something like art or whatever is just garbage. He's actually taking the time to refine what he's doing. And every once in a while, he releases a new piece. And every once in a while, by every once in a while, I mean like five times a day. He's taking it seriously. We should too. Because like I said, and I was talking to my sister about this yesterday, and I told you yesterday, if you've got an office of 10 copywriters at some magazine, not talking article writers, I'm just talking if you need copy for whatever it is that you're doing, like an advertisement that somebody's paying you to do the advertisement for, all of that stuff, and you need people to actually write words on paper that make sense, describe the product, and have a couple of good hook lines in there, If you've got an office of 10 copywriters that do that at some kind of institution or some kind of company, the one guy that takes his time like Nim is taking to learn how to prompt stable diffusion and whatever he's using, he may be using mid-journey, I don't know, I've never asked him, but those are things, then that guy is the last guy they'll let go because the other nine people that didn't take the time to do it, they're going to be let go. They're, they they didn't, not because they didn't learn about AI and the, the company was like, well, you didn't even take time to learn AI. No, they just, they don't have anything to offer at that point. Because here's what I told my sister that I didn't think of to tell you yesterday. The whole issue of all these people thinking that AI is going to take their jobs, they're right as well as wrong. And here's why. Without a driver, a car doesn't go anywhere. A motorcycle doesn't go anywhere. Without a pilot, helicopters remain on the ground, and so do airplanes. Yes, I know, artificial intelligence can fly shit too, and and they can drive cars. But essentially, if there's a whole bunch of planes flying around and nobody's in them, there's a whole bunch of helicopters flying around and nobody's in them, there's a whole bunch of motor vehicles going around and nobody's in them, then what's going on? Absolutely nothing. The human will always be the reason why any of this stuff exists in the first place. There will need to be a human on the other end that needs to accept some good or service that has been created through the actions of a human in the driver's seat of prompting AI. Because if you just let AI run, right? How are you going to be able to find the copy that is specific to your product 
without you actually doing the prompt? Do you think it's like a public swimming pool and that you just go to the public pool and throw a bucket of, you know, an empty bucket into the pool and drag out water and that water is going to somehow magically be what you want? That's not the way this works. As scary as AI is, it has to be driven by the human. A human either has to ask it a question that is very specific, or the AI is just going to do either somebody else's work, or I don't know, pontificate on whether or not it's sentient. You have to prompt it. You, somebody has to understand how to interact with AI. If you're not going to be the guy that understands how to act with artificial intelligence, then you're more likely to get on the chopping block for your employment than the guy who spent the time doing it. It's going faster than I've seen anything go faster. The web, we thought it went fast. No, it didn't. We think Bitcoin and Lightning is going fast, not in comparison to this. This thing is going to eat the world. You do not want to be the side dish for that. So the only way, the only way that you can get out of it is to learn to cook with AI. I think there's actually a podcast called Cooking with AI. I might actually have to start listening to that one. I hear it mentioned on uh, No Agenda all the time. <clears throat> uh, that's uh, John Dvorak and Adam Curry's podcast, if you didn't know. Uh, but yeah, Cooking with AI is probably something that I'm going to start listening to. Figure it out, guys. It's already on iOS. I'll bet you they said that Android is coming. It wouldn't surprise me if that doesn't drop by the end of the day. And if not today, tomorrow. It really wouldn't surprise me one bit. Do not be on the plate of vittles. Be the cook. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.